Hello and welcome to Horror Call Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're back to bad films again. But this is what everyone listens for. Let's face it. People want to hear us talking shit about films. <laughs> I'm sure people do enjoy our episodes where we talk about good films, but people want to hear us talking shit. And you're in for a treat. <laughs> yeah, this is a weird one. Um, this is our most recent film. That we've covered. A lot, a lot of times we cover um, films from the past. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, last week it was obviously Jennifer's Body, so that was quite recent. But this is even more recent because this was released last year. It was. Um, this is the uh, masterpiece that is uh, The Haunting of Sharon Tate, directed by Daniel Ferrans, who made... Uh, what, did he, what was it he made that you mentioned he, to me? He made this year... Uh, he made... <laughs> Uh, a film about the murder of uh, Nicole Brown. Um, obviously, the, the lady who was murdered, um, and many believe, by O.J. Simpson. So oh, was... he loves his uh, true crime, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, it we say true crime, and, and you'll sort of figure out as we go on through this uh, podcast... Uh, this film is on Netflix, so The Haunting of Sharon Tate is on Netflix. Yeah, and that's the only, the only reason I knew about this film is because, um, you know, how people get obsessed with uh, Netflix horror films and such, and loads of people post them on social media saying they couldn't make them through, terrified, disturbing. This is one of the rare occasions where everybody was like, fuck this film. Like, it's notoriously awful. Yeah. Like, I, I only know about it because people have told me how bad it is. But the the director seems to be trying to make a career of making revisionist, um, well, I say historical pieces, I suppose they are. Yeah. Um, but taking true life crimes mm-hmm. and creating what is mainly fiction. Yeah. Really, or um, hearsay. It's and like creating what, a film out of it. Well, it's like what. Um, Quentin Tarantino has done with, of course, Inglorious Bastards. Uh, he did it with Hitler in that film. Yeah. And of course, more relevant to this, he recently did it with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Sharon Tate. Now, I remember being in the cinema watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and when it was coming up to that scene, it was the suspense and everything that was building. It was, it was, you know, so intense because you thought you knew where it was going, you thought you knew what was about to happen, and when it didn't happen, it was kind of a breath of, breath of fresh air, and it kind of, I don't know, I think it made me enjoy the film more that it ended on a happy ending and such. Yeah. But then this, this goes against history, but still shows you the murders. It's, yeah. Um, it's, like it, it's like the director wanted an excuse to make that scene, and it's so... Disrespectful. So, throughout Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, the, the Sharon Tate character and story isn't the main focus of no, Once Upon a Time no. in Hollywood. Uh, we all thought it was going to be, but it wasn't. Um, mm. She was actually quite a small part of it. But in the back of our minds, throughout the whole film, we know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. We know what it's all leading up to. And that creates... Suspense, it creates attention. There's a almost like a, a, a cloud yeah. over the film as it goes on because yeah. we know how this is going to end, and then it doesn't. It's a revisionist history. Um, Sharon Tate is essentially saved by the Leonardo DiCaprio yeah, and it, Brad Pitt characters. It, it plays out like revenge porn, it's like you're watching, you know. The people get their just desserts that exactly. didn't get their just desserts. Exactly. You know? And, you know, that's what I think that watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a second time mm. is critical. Yeah. Because you you know the ending yeah. then. So that's and it feels not, like a different film. Yeah. So in the back of your mind, you're actually more focusing on what the film is about yeah. rather than that ending. Also, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood plays Sharon Tate out to be a very likeable character, a very likeable, you know, person. Yeah, which by all accounts she was. Yeah, not according to this film. No, no. Um, So this, we all know the the, the story, but if if you're unfamiliar with the story, uh, in 1969, three members of the uh, Manson family, so Charles Manson, 
had a family, not like a real family, but um, a cult, mm. essentially. And he essentially made three of his members go and murder Sharon Tate at her home. And three of her... Well, yeah, three of her yeah. friends. And um, a friend of the, the caretaker was murdered that same night as well. Um, big news. Obviously, she yeah. was, uh, you know, up and coming actress. Um, she was married to Roman Polanski at the time. She was eight and a half months pregnant. You know, it, it was big stories. Yeah. It's, it's, it was sort of a lot of people see it as the end of sort of the hippie culture as well mm-hmm. in, in America. People looked at hippies in a, a much different way because the, they associated Charles Manson with that culture. Um, so big, big thing, big story. You know, everyone's familiar with it. We all know how it ends going into a film such as this or a film such as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, this film, I don't know what it wants to do. No. I don't know what it wants to do. It ends up being actually quite insulting Yeah. to Sharon Tate. Uh, very insensitive. Um, very confusing. And for absolutely no reason, I, I don't understand the message of this film. Well, what's weird is, and it's something I, it's a sentence I never thought I'd say about a film about Sharon Tate, but it's like a, a mashup of The Strangers and Final Destination. Yeah. Why, why would anyone want that for a film about Sharon Tate? Yeah. It, it takes that story. Actually, it doesn't take that story. What I feel it does is take a very basic horror film plot yeah very basic horror film tropes and slaps sharon tate onto that yeah which is highly insulting yeah and insensitive and the thing is you know i'm all for films about true crime you know it's the strangers is very much about the manson family it's it's based on it yeah based on being the keywords uh-huh. you know texas chainsaw massacre is based on ed gein psycho is based on ed gein over the years, there's been so many horror films based on famous serial killers and such. But they do it in a way that's not... It's not insensitive because it's based around it. It's based around fact. It's not saying these are the people they murdered. These are their actual names. These are their actual lives. This delves into an actual person and her life and slaps her name onto it makes her out to be a bit of a bitch and then plays around with her death, a very real death, by making her out to be some sort of psychic. Yeah, it, it creates a character that none of the filmmakers would have known. No. You wouldn't you they they didn't know Sharon Tate, they'd never met her. No. Um her sister has completely um bashed this film. Yeah, I mean, I've got that down she, for the trivia. She, you know, they didn't interview anybody who knew her. The, you know, the the minute by minute play of what happened that night, you know, has only come from mm. the actual murderers. Yeah. Um, there, there's a fantastic book, uh, called Helter Skelter, uh, written by one of the um prosecutors, uh, whose name I can't, uh, Vincent. Pugliosi or, or something like that, excuse me, uh, which is a fantastic book, which goes really in-depth about it all. And it was made into two TV movies, mm-hmm. um, you know, which are based on fact of what we know. Yeah. Um, and looking at it in a true crime sense, whereas this goes into fantasy. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, if they didn't use the names of the real people who are involved... This would have just been a basic-ass horror film that would have been overlooked. It, it, do you know what? It may have even got the, this is the most disturbing film you'll ever see on Netflix treatment or something like that. Yeah. You know, it, it, no one would have paid it any attention. But the fact that it, they use these people to play out this horror film that, let's face it, we've seen a thousand times before, it's just insulting. And that's my first bit of trivia is that Sharon Tate's sister, Deborah Tate, um, has stated that she doesn't support the film in any way whatsoever because of how exploitative and disrespectful it is. 
Yeah. And she, she, she's sick of films doing this with, you know, her sister. And it's very tragic, real-life event. Um, yeah, I think year she took after year. issue with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. So many people with, talk yeah. issue with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, but it, I still think they handled it better than this. Yeah, yeah. Um, the plot is inspired by an actual quote from Sharon Tate where she had a nightmare in which a strange man was in her house and uh, tied her and her friend Jay Sebring up and slit the throats. But this film takes that small interview, that one random interview she had, and just plays on it so much. Yeah. Well, the, the whole film is based around... Yeah what she said in this interview about a dream that she had two years before she was murdered. Yeah. Um, we, we've all had... If you watch as many horror films as we do, we've all had those sort of dreams, haven't we? Yeah. Um, well, nightmares, really. Uh, but this takes it way too far. Way too far. According to the editor, seven scenes had to be put in slow motion for the runtime because they didn't have enough film for a full runtime. <laughs> and it's very obvious oh, which ones they are the fir- even and f- how pointless the slow mo is. And that's that's what's even worse. <laughs> it's not even a well made film. No, like no. The, there's so much CGI blood and like CGI gunshots. It's oh my god. Um, few Hilary Duff facts are uh, Lizzie McGuire actress Hilary Hilary Duff. She called this role a true honour and an incredible opportunity for her. She's a massive fan of Sharon Tate. I think that was before it was released. I Yeah, it, I'm hoping it's before it was made because surely she kind of done all this, watched it back and then said that. This is her first ever horror film. There's a good reason for that. And she completed her filming within two weeks. Yeah. It's a shame, really, because I, 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 I remember Lizzie McGuire. I, you know, I watched... Uh, Cinderella story when I was younger and, and all that business. I loved Hilary Duff and I still do. Um, but oh my god, what? No one should be typecast, but really, Hilary Duff needs to stick to what she's good at. Oh my god, and it is not horror films. <laughs> in, in life, we all make choices, don't we? Yeah. And her accepting this role was a choice. Well, she was a fucking executive producer. She was an executive producer. Um, so, oh. She was the only Disney star that didn't go downhill, and then she did this shit. Mm. <laughs> I class that as downhill. Um, so the plot for the film <laughs> is... That's a, uh, a bit harsh. Well, I'm well, sorry. Anyway, she hasn't been arrested or anything. She's not on drugs. If... She just made a really bad making film. Making a terrible film is a crime, then she would be put away for life. <laughs> um, the plot is pregnant with Roman Polanski's child and awaiting his return from Europe. 26-year-old actress Sharon Tate becomes plagued by visions of her imminent death. Yeah... Um, so, well, there's nothing else we can what, say. What do we begin with? So, we begin with a quote from Edgar Allan Poe. It is all that we see or seem, but a dream within a dream. Ooh. And then... Uh, which which was from the beginning of a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Which one was dream it? Warriors. Was it Dream Warriors? Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> uh, and then we get something you're going to hear a lot of times throughout this film... I think my whole life has been decided by fate. I, so I was sick of hearing fate by the end of this film. The, the, the whole... If I can get anything from the film, if I can try and squeeze a little bit of sense out of it, is that it's trying to talk about fate. And about... <laughs> because it tells you that constantly throughout the fucking film. Um, but in a really stupid way. Um, and about the fact that Sharon Tate knew that her death was going to come at some point because she had this one nightmare and that it was, we all are, you know, prisoners to our own fates and, it, and nothing she could have done could have prevented what happened. Yeah. Which is really, that's horrible. It is. I don't know if that's what they were going for. That's what I got. From it, yeah, I mean, it's rammed down your throat enough. Yeah, so. yeah, but I, I'm, it, yeah, but it's such a shit film that we're probably going for something else. Yeah, but what they gave us was that. <laughs> I wonder if it actually was a Sharon Tate film originally, <laughs> where they just like, okay, this film's really bland. We need to do something exciting with it. <laughs> um, what's really exciting? It looks really exciting. What's really Excuse important me. here that you need to remember is that this 
Her talking about fate, this interview, was on the 1st of August, 1968. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, I just got wrote down all I could see is Lizzie McGuire. At first, that's all I could see when she was doing this interview at the start, because she was talking like she was in character as Lizzie McGuire. Yeah, and she's been terribly miscast. You know, Margot Robbie looked like Sharon yeah. Tate. Um, and then not that it's it, absolutely no way to say that Hilary Duff isn't a beautiful woman. Um, no, she looks fuck all like Sharon Tate. But she she doesn't she hasn't got the the look yeah. of Sharon Tate. She looks like Hilary Duff. Yeah, that's that's all I could see. Yeah, Hilary Duff is a sweet girl. Yeah, you know Sharon Tate was as as well by all accounts, but Sharon Tate was seen as a sex symbol. I wouldn't put Hilary Duff in that sort of camp. Would you? No, no. So I, I, oh. she's not pulling off the glamour for me. Oh, shit. I'm just looking at my notes here, and I just remember something that happened at the start of this film that... Okay. I'm just going to get to it. So she explains about the dream. The interview's not very... It's basically word for word for this interview that they based the entire film of. Yeah, it's shot in black and white Seeing her death, yeah. We believe it's in black... It's the old days, because it's in black and white. (laughs) Um, So, about the date, I'm going to get to this first as well. She says... uh, No, the the title card says, 1st of 8th, 1968, Right. Then it says one year later, so that should be the 1st of August, 1969. But then, after this, it says uh, three days earlier, the 6th of August, 1969. So if they're not paying that much attention to their title cards, then they clearly weren't paying attention to the rest of the film either. And that leads me on to this. We get a news report about the death of Sharon Tate. We get an extensive news report about it, and then they show you this film where she survives. I'm I'm sorry. What? Yeah, but she doesn't survive. Okay, so this kind of supports what you said. We've both got different theories about the end of this film. The ending of this film is very fucked up in the sense of it makes absolutely no fucking yeah. sense. So again, we'll come back to this. Um, because we've both got different theories on it. And I, this kind of puts me a bit more towards Chris's theory now, actually. Now I'm remembering that this happened. Um, either way, no matter which one of us is right, it's just as fucked up either way. Um, yes, so we we get news reports. Yeah, we're getting Manson family about the Manson family and about Sharon Tate. Um, I can't, I can't imagine anybody going into this film not knowing the story. Yeah, it doesn't help. None of these crime scene things help really. No, with the story. Well, they're shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. They're, they're telling people the real story before showing this insulting take on it. They're, they're saying, they're showing people they're, how inaccurate this is. I, see, what, what confuses me is I understand why they're showing this because they're trying to bring up memories of Sharon Tate, uh, trying to um, sort of go towards our own knowledge on the crime mm. and bring up our own emotions towards that crime. I get that. So showing us the real thing is going to stir up something inside us, you know? Yeah. Um, we sort of know what's coming. So that there's, again, much like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's that tension throughout because we know how this film's going to end. Um, and showing us the real life clips... Um, <laughs> Helps make the film longer, like the slow-mo, but then also stirs up emotions within us. Uh, already established emotions. So yeah. Slightly lazy filmmaking, but I understand what they're trying to do. You know what she's putting there to pad out the run time, though. And yeah, a little bit as well. It, it's and tied in with these... It was probably free news footage as well. Yeah. Public it, domain shit. It's tied in with these exterior shots of the house and the and Hollywood Hills and we get to see them again at the end just to pad out the runtime a little bit more. We get to see the corpses lying around the house and then we go three days earlier and uh, Sharon and Jay arrive at the house. Uh, they've got a welcome home party from uh, Wojciech, Wojciech, I think that's how you pronounce his name, who's Roman Polanski's friend. Wojciech. And uh, his girlfriend, Abigail. Um, that you know, at this point, you think they're all really good friends. They did a lovely thing, nice welcome home party. Sharon has something different to say about that a little later on. Um, we find out Roman is away working on Day of the Dolphin, um, and they all do a toast to Sharon's ass. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Sharon and Jay are driving quite happily through the Hollywood Hills, 
um, they get to... The, what I found quite funny in this scene is that they get to the house and they're having a little natter and um, she's being... Basically, the whole conversation is about how Sharon left Jay. Yeah. So they used to be in a relationship. Sharon left Jay, but Jay was shagging his client, his hairdressing clients behind her back anyway. Uh-huh. And that, that's sort of the banter between yeah, them. Yeah, and they're having a laugh about it. Like, <laughs> yeah. The, the banter is, oh, you left me. Yeah, but you were shagging people behind my back. <laughs> um, the house looks super cheap, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, it doesn't look even close to as nice as it did in Once Upon a Time in well, Hollywood. I, I mean, we know that the uh, you know the director of this film um, obviously didn't have as as much money as I uh, don't think the budget was as uh, Quentin Tarantino. I, I can't find the budget online. No, um, but I've got a solution for that. Just don't fucking make the film. Don't put us through this shit. <laughs> it's much cheaper. Um, um, yeah, so they get a board game out. It's called Kabbalah. These friend, these friends, just just to note, these friends have terrible chemistry. Oh yeah, no one, no one has any chemistry in this film. Terrible chemistry. The acting from everybody is horrendous. Yeah, yeah, and just just to note, um, Hilary Duff, we we watched it. <laughs> we watched an interview with Sharon Tate after, right afterwards because it was bugging me. I was like, I know Sharon Tate. You know, she she, didn't, she wasn't southern or anything like that. She didn't have a real accent. Um, but I, I, Hilary Duff just sounded English. She sounded. <laughs> I could tell. I could see what she was going for after watching the interview with the real Sharon. Um, but she sounded British. She sounded like she was trying to be posh. Yeah, and that's the thing. At the start of the film, that interview they showed you, where it was in black and white. This is why I, I've noticed the difference between that, where she felt like she was playing Hillary, where she's playing Lizzie McGuire. Yeah. And then when when it gets into the actual film, she's got this different accent. She where... sounded more like me than Sharon <laughs> Tate. <laughs> yeah, she was trying to be you um, the whole time. Yeah, and then, and then it was funny. They, they had a toast to a fat ass. Yeah. And... And the, the, um, well, the toast was hoping that a spectacular ass returns someday. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. Come on, friends, banter. <laughs> and they're playing this Kabbalah board game, which is essentially like a big Ouija board. Yeah, um, I'd, I've never heard of this Kabbalah no, board game before. No. It looks like it's got something to do with... Um, is it the the blue eye? Is it the evil eye or, or something? The they, probably, evil? they probably made it because they didn't have the rights to use a Ouija board. Maybe, but there's like tarot cards all around it. Yeah. It's very similar to like a roulette reel. Oh, real wheel, um, but with tarot cards instead of numbers. I, mm. I, I, I don't know if it, if it's a real thing. I suspect it is, but just cheap. Well, you you ask it questions and it gives you answers. And uh, Abigail says, uh, "Will Sharon have a beautiful baby girl?" And it says, "No." <laughs> oh, fuck you, film. That is so insensitive. No, this is gonna be a boy, you weirdo. <laughs> So saying it's going to be an ugly no, said, baby girl. Yeah, no, she said, it just says, no, is she going to have a baby girl? <laughs> no, she's not going to have a baby. She's going to be fucking murdered. Oh, okay. That's what I was getting from it. Oh, okay. So uh, what they then, got was that she was going to have a boy. Yeah, but then immediately after, she says, will I have a long life? And it also says no to that. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but does it actually say yeah. no? As the door knocks, there's a door knocks, and then it slides to no, and no one looks at it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you! What a <laughs> horrible film. Which here? And I'm horrible, not sure. Is there any evidence film. that he ever actually played this game, or is it just a real cheap horror film cliche? I've had you know. I, I've we've watched some really horrific stuff. Um, we've got some really horrific horror films in our collection. That scene with the Kabbalah board game made me, f- made me more angry than people being murdered insensitively in horror films. It's just so insensitive. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just why? Um, so they get a knock on the door. Um, we hear um, Wojtek saying, oh, you got the wrong house. Um, this, is the ho- this is the home of Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. Yeah. yeah, thank you. You really needed to tell the people at the door that question when you fucking know who they are. We find out later on. He knows them. Yeah. He knows who they are. Why are you saying this? And why are you saying the names in full? Yeah. Arsehole. So, um, we see outside, the Manson family are out there in the car. So we see, so 
pretty much throughout the whole film, every t- you don't see Charles You Manson don't see Charles Munster because they couldn't afford a lookalike. You, you see his face once. Briefly. Yeah, in briefly, shadows. Briefly, briefly. No, 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 no. In, in shadow, but less shadow than the rest of the film. Mm. But for the rest of the film, he's pretty much a silhouette because you he's just shrouded in d- darkness, in, in shadow. Um, but for this initial scene, you see him going back to the car and the, if you didn't know that he's the antagonist of the film, the fucking soundtrack... <clears throat> did you not think the soundtrack oh, yeah. was awful in this film? Yeah. Like, real screechy, <laughs> shitty horror music, you know, trying to up the tension, but headache-inducing bullshit <laughs> soundtrack. It was like, oh, he must be the bad guy then. <laughs> fucking hell. Um, so... Sharon's in bed. She's talking to herself whilst her friends are having loud sex upstairs. Um, <laughs> yeah, completely pointless. Yeah, and then she goes pointless. on a mandatory modern horror walk through the house. Oh, yeah. Where she's taking the time going around every corner. She slowly searches the house in the dark, which I've got <laughs> down, which annoys the shit out of me. Happens in so many films watching this podcast. Two things that really trigger me, and this film has both. Searching your own house in the dark. <laughs> Switch the fucking light on. It's your house. You cannot afford the electric bill. Fucking hell. And secondly... <laughs> slow-mo. <laughs> Useless, slow-mo, pointless slow-mo. I fucking hate it. It and, really triggers me. And talking... You, you're also, your other one that you forgot about is talking to, yourself, that and talking to yourself to let oh, the audience know oh what's going God. on. Which is exactly what she's doing in the scene. Don't even. It's a slight tangent, but we're watching the Saw films, weren't we? <laughs> and there's a lot of that in the Saw films where people talking to themselves just for a bit of exposition to the uh, audience. Well, this, this scene does all of your favourite things in one. And... Uh, then um, we see a man staring at her through the window after she closes the fridge. Oh, jump scare. Um, well, it, was, it wasn't it the ice machine that was It was the ice noise. machine making a noise, of course. Ooh. And she gets some ice. The, the thing is, the whole idea is that this is meant to be very warm. It's August, it's LA, you know, it's going to be boiling hot. She's eight and a half months pregnant. I ain't be funny. She should be sweaty throughout this whole film. She really should. Yeah. Um, but she's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but she does take some ice and rub it all over her face for some reason. So, uh, the door knocks again. Uh, Wojtek goes out to, you know, say, what are you coming back for? And the dog runs outside. They don't even bother trying to get the dog back. Um, the next day, uh, we get another title card to let you know the date again. It's 7th of August now. Um, Sharon and Abigail are talking about some odd guests they've been having over at the house. So, oh yeah, but oh, been having some weird people in this house taking all different sorts of drugs, and all sorts, and then. Uh, and Sharon says that she's fine with this. Yeah, she says she's she fine says with it. That her home is for all of her friends. Yeah. And for everybody to enjoy. Also important to remember that in a minute. Yeah. Um, and what's really funny about this scene is the terrible editing because we see these two girls walking behind and thought, oh okay, this is going to be the two Manson girls, and this is you know they're going to have some sort of scene together. And they just walk off screen. But then they come back with the exact same shot. The exact same shot as before. Yeah. And then they have their little moment with them. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so these two girls, that you know, it's very obvious that these two are the Manson girls. And they walk past and they stare at them. But they, they kind of smile as they're, they're walking past. Aren't, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. So they're walking past and they're kind of smiling at the girls. But it's in slow motion, so we know they're evil. But it's in slow motion. But (laughs) you'd think um, Abigail and Sharon had seen a fucking flash out. (laughs) You'd think think somebody's got their fucking knob out in front of them. They're horrified, aren't they? All these two girls smiling at us. Yeah, so they walk past. It's a little weird, but it's not not like, oh my god. Um, so then they find the dead dog because no one bothered to bring the dog back. Yeah, apparently they just leave the dog out overnight. And so they walk around this corner. So they just happen to be having a walk. They don't walk for the rest of the film. They don't go for random walks. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's her dead dog. 
yeah. covered in um, maggots and flies all, all around it. And um, she... <laughs> so I'm making myself laugh here. I put Hillary... <laughs> Hillary emotes as if she's just had Botox. <laughs> <laughs> she's found a dead dog covered in maggots and flies. She's horrified. But she looks like one of the real housewives. <laughs> Ooh. She she gives more real emotion in this next scene when she gets really pissed off because no one told her that their caretaker um, has his friend staying over. Yeah, so she's she, really pissed off about that. She so she's no 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 that's real life. So she's got issues with um, Wojtek and Abigail. She she's basically said you know my house is free for all of my friends. You know I want to share in you know what I have. Mm-hmm. And all that. And she first takes issue with these people, weird people coming round. Um, and then she wants the, the gate, code on the gate to get changed, yeah. doesn't she? And then she's introduced to her new caretaker, Stephen. And um, apparently he's been caretaker for a while and no one's informed her. So she's a bit fuming about that. So Stephen, as a character in this film... Um, is representative of um, Stephen in real life. Oh, Stephen Parent, I think his name was. No, yeah, the completely different name you said. Oh no, no that's the caretaker. So Stephen okay. Parent w- was murdered in in real yeah, life in the real yeah. life murders, but because he was visiting the caretaker, um, so Sharon's actual caretaker survived that night. He, he had nothing to do with any of it because his trailer was so far away. But his friend Stephen, who was visiting, got caught up in it. Yeah. So this is kind of an amalgamation of the two real-life people into one character. Yeah. But either way, Hilary Duff is more upset that she has a new caretaker rather than the fact her dog died. Yeah. Which she is, actually. Yeah, yeah, she's fuming. Um, so she goes back home. She goes into uh, her husband's office. She finds a script for Rosemary's Baby. Hmm. Oh, I think that's the bit where uh, everyone in the audience is like, oh, oh my God, yes, yes, look at that little nod to, Rose, to Roman Polanski. Oh my God, yes. And as a poster to fulfil as vampire killers. Also, well. part of everyone's like, oh my God, yes, That's a Sharon Tate film, there's a Sharon Tate yeah. in it as well. Um, so she's walking around his office, she finds some envelopes of tapes in, starts playing one, and it is actually a Charles Manson song, I believe. It's No, she doesn't start playing it. Oh, it plays by itself. She no no no. This was oh, that later on. The so song? she's following some music. Yeah, and this is the, what really annoys me in this film is there's no clear sense of what's in her mind and what's not. Yeah. So she's following some music, and leads her to Roman Polanski's office. Mm-hmm. And then she finds all these packages that have been delivered, seemingly from Charles Manson. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I thought a sneeze was coming along there. Um, and one of them's a tape. She starts playing it, and it's Charles Manson song. Yeah. Um, it ceased cease to exist. Yeah, and she she's listening to this song, and then Jay comes in just for a jump scare, and uh, she's like, "Jay, that tape, that voice, it's creepy, man." <laughs> <laughs> the script actually said it's creepy man (laughs) i'm not sure what they get i thought she said it's creeping me out no you went back and played it again and it's it's creepy man yeah (laughs) so i don't know if the script it's creepy man she's speaking like like a little child like yeah (laughs) help me mummy it's creepy man (laughs) so this is when she starts bitching about her mates. She's like... Well, she's read- we cut to her reading a book uh, about reincarnation by the pool, <laughs> don't we? Yeah. So if we need <laughs> any more spiritual fate, afterlife bullshit put into this film, we-, we get her reading a book about reincarnation next to the fucking pool. Um, yeah. Yeah, so she thinks her friends are taking over her house. Yeah, it's just, this is supposed to be our home. Me, Roman and the baby. Flashback to like 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Fine. My house is an open home to everybody. Exactly. These fuckers taking over my house. Yeah. <laughs> but then Jay's like, 
Rome will be home soon, and then could kiss the squats from Howard goodbye. What? So harsh. It's so it's, out of order. It's so harsh to the real life Abigail and Wojtek, because Ab- Abigail um, was an heiress to a fortune, mm. you know, a coffee man. I can't remember a certain... A Folger. The Folger coffee um, business. You know, so she, she's not a squatter. She's got her own money. Yeah, and, and Wojtek was a film writer. Exactly. So I think that's really harsh to yeah. them. Because I don't think there's anywhere written down, correct me if I'm wrong, that even suggests that these two people were... Mm-hmm good friends that she had round because she wanted some support while she was eight and a half months pregnant. Yeah. You know, there's absolutely nothing to suggest that they were squatters. We've, ne- we've seen no evidence in this film that they're squatters somehow. They've, they've, they've done nothing wrong to her. And yeah, exactly. But there's also, I feel that the film's trying to give an underlying um, thought that these two have something to do with yeah, it. Yeah, it's very much implied that they've got something to do with you it. You've heard some Scottish from Hell. The, the, the film's trying to make you think that they're trying to take over Sharon's mm. life. Um, come on, Rosemary's baby. Yeah. You know? How cheap and rude. You know, I, I, th- I genuinely think that they're trying to do a sort of Rosemary's baby yeah. riff on, on that, these two people, because... One of Sharon's, her issues was the fact that they'd, you know, decorated the baby's room mm. w- without her as a surprise. Well, bitch, eight and a half fucking months pregnant. She had that <laughs> shit sorted way before then. Eight and a half months pregnant. You you could legitimately give birth at any moment. Yeah. You, you know, it happens. It happens way earlier than eight and a half months. Get that fucking room sorted. <laughs> And this this is what where Sharon Tate isn't necessarily a likable character in this film. No. And I say character, obviously, to differentiate between the real life Sharon Tate. Um, she's not very likable. She's actually quite rude to these people. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and after this, after he says about the squat somehow, she responds to that not with a continuation of that conversation, but of course with. Do you think they were all slaves to our own destiny? Like, shut the fuck up about fate. And then she goes on for about five minutes just talking about it non-stop. And it's like, no one cares. So, I just, I, What's the point? What is your point with this film? What What is it? You keep yeah. bringing it up. Okay, I'm listening. What point are you trying to make? Because to me, it's not very clear. Well, it leads on to a very funny photograph um, of Jay and his wife once and uh, yeah. and then her standing there just uh, giving this really fake looking smile like she's posing for a fucking Instagram story. So Jay's played by... Guy from Mean Girls. The guy from Mean... The very hunky guy from Mean Girls. What was his name in Mean Girls? Aaron. Aaron. Oh, Aaron Samuels. Yes. So we had to get him in his wife friends. We also got Wojtek in his wife friends. Yeah, well. for some reason. I don't twice know, once I, in slow motion. I I actually think this film may be for a gay audience. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, I mean, it, it would make sense, but <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, I don't think it should be for fucking any audience. It just shouldn't exist. Um, after this, we get a uh, the Manson girl standing outside uh, Abigail's door. Abigail waves back at her. He just doesn't, you know, try and get how or anything. Yeah, so, well, just before that, we get the baby room window is slightly open. Yeah. And we get a hand at it, don't we? Mm-hmm. And then Abigail is in her room, and one of the Manson girls is outside. They kind of look at each other, and the Manson girl waves, and Abigail waves back. Yeah. It wasn't too long ago that they happened to pass each other, <laughs> whilst outside in a public area, <laughs> and they acted... As in, they acted as if she'd taken a shit right in front of them. She's now outside your window on private property and you're waving back. So a gun gets pointed at Wojtek and he, he gets uh, he gets shot. Charles Manson's song starts playing um, and Sharon is taken... That's when it plays by itself. Yeah, it plays by itself. Sharon's taken to the living room by knife point. Um... 
and uh, Jay's asking one of the followers, who are you? And he, of course, that's the famous line from real life. I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's business. Um, we just get a really graphic recreation yeah. of the murders from that night. So this is, this is very similar to the actual murders. Yes. So um, Wojtek was murdered on the sofa, essentially. He was shot on the sofa. Um, Jay did um, sort of try and help Sharon by explaining that she was pregnant and then they killed him because mm. because of that. They killed him straight away. Yeah. So they were all taken to the living room um, and stabbed multiple times. And, and you see this in the film and it, it, it's... it's nasty it's really nasty it's it's really uncomfortable and it's what really pissed me off about it is the fact that every time someone got stabbed you got cgi blood spurts yeah just to add more blood to it and everything and it was like it was glorifying it like it was trying to glorify a murder in a horror film yeah and that would have been fine any other time fair enough it would be a normal scary film but this isn't this you're recreating a real life event here why are you adding cgi blood exactly and then the thing that makes this even worse is that this scene didn't need to happen because Sharon Tate wakes up and it was a dream. It was one of her never psychic, her psychic visions. Yeah, and th- this is a psychic vision or, or dream or, or nightmare that plays out exactly how mm. the real murders played out to, to a certain extent. It's a slightly different. Um, but this has played out as real, the real life yeah. murders happened, yeah. which makes it, makes it look like Sharon is indeed psychic yeah and she predicted had a premonition yeah, about her own murder which which she said she, which she did kind of in real life two mm-hmm. years previous which but to the exact detail yeah. yeah there is absolutely nothing to suggest that Sharon Tate in any way had a premonition about the exact details of how she would be murdered. No. And that's what makes this fucking film insane. Yeah, it's just her and Jay in her vision, in yeah. real life. If her, that's her how it had played out... Yeah, it, it's I, just If this too. film had played out where she had that vision, say started the film with mm-hmm. that vision, and, you know took it to the interview and then carried on showing her success and her career and everything. And, and then the end of the film was her murders. Mm. It, it wouldn't have felt much better. I, I'm still not sure, you know, if, if that would have been uncomfortable or not. Um, but if it had ended on the actual murders and it was less blood splattery and more about the emotion of the scene. Yeah. I think that could make an interesting film. Mm. Yeah. I, I reckon it yeah. could. Yeah. Um, but the way they've done this. Yeah. Ugh. She wakes up. Um, Abby runs out of bed in slow motion. Um, jump, jumps over Vitex, uh, Vitex Y fronts <laughs> in slow motion. And goes to comfort um, Sharon in bed. Then it's the 8th of August 1969. The day of it all happening. And Sharon finds a dead rat in the fridge. And she reacts to it by saying. What is this dead thing in my refrigerator? It's like okay. Hilary Duff. Just try. Try acting scared or something for a second please. Like She finds. Yeah. She's not bothered. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. She it's, she's acting like someone put the milk in the wrong place. She's less scared of it and more angry. Yeah. About it. So she's she's there and she opens the fridge and there's this dead rat, very similar to the dog, covered in maggots mm-hmm. and all that business. And she says, you know, what is this doing in my fridge? And they're saying, well, there's nothing there. You know, what what, what thing in the fridge? She opens the fridge again, and it's not there. Old cliche, you know, yeah. we've seen it thousands of times. And then she says, are you telling me that I'm imagining things <laughs> that aren't there? You just... Well, of course that's what they're telling you. Yeah, you just because had... <laughs> you've literally just seen it for yourself. Yeah. She's opened the fridge, saw a dead rat, closed the door, 
opened it again. She's the only person that's been near that fucking fridge. And there's no dead rat there. Where's this dead rat gone? If you haven't imagined that, then where the fuck has it gone? Why are you so angry? <laughs> Why is she so angry? Well, then they're all... She's like, yeah, something is seriously wrong here. And then they're all like, oh, you, you're a pregnant woman, you're crazy. And she's like, no, no, I want to know who this Charlie is. I want to know who he is. And they're like, oh, well, we don't know him. He just came around here a couple of times to give some tapes and stuff. And then uh, Sharon's like, no, he wants to kill me. He wants to kill me. And then they're like, this isn't one of Roman's movies. <laughs> And then they're like, oh, we're already going to go crazy. She's like, crazy? I'll show you crazy. And storms <laughs> out. <laughs> Spoiler alert, she didn't actually show them crazy. No, she no, doesn't show them crazy. She didn't actually, after At any that. point, unfortunately. Um, um, but, she, yeah, so the, the idea is that Charles Manson has been around a few times. At, um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the story um, of the fact that he... The guy who lived there before mm. was a record producer. Yeah. And that's Charles Manson wanted to get his music to this record producer and the producer had kind of ignored him. Yeah. So that's pretty much why the house was chosen. He had been there a couple of times. So, um, her friends, uh, they're all worried that Sharon, you know, she's going, she, she needs to be protected from herself, uh, apparently. And then she goes to pay Stephen a visit. Who's working on his car with his shirt off? Oh, that really skinny, pasty body! Yay, lovely. Everyone needed to see that. Um, and Gary, <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not body shaming, but no, kind. This podcast is not about body shaming. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there was no need for him to have his shirt off. Wait, there's no need for any of them to have their shirts. No, but I mean, you know, the other ones they're really trying to sexualize these male characters with their six packs and everything, and then they show you Stephen. Oh, we, oh, let's not get into that. <laughs> Either way, you know, show whatever bodies you want to show, whatever. But, um, so, after this, um, he's working on his car, and this scene has no chemistry at all. Yeah, they're, they're sort of... The dialogue is if they know each other really well, and, and she's, she's like, I need you to help me with something. As if she knows he's a fixer-upper. He's a caretaker, I understand. Yeah. But she's asking him to fix a tape recorder. <laughs> to help with a tape recorder. Yeah, and they, they go back to his trailer and we get some unneeded exposition about his life. No one cares. Um, I think the idea is... He's a very is, minor character. Well, he... Yeah, he is. But um, he said something... Which which is really weird. He said he didn't really speak to his family, but he'd like to speak to his family to say goodbye before he moves on. Yeah. Why is he thinking about that? He's like in his 20s. So are they deliberately trying to make him seem weird mm. or suspicious as if he was part of it? Which plays ever so slightly into real life because the caretaker was questioned. But obviously exonerated. He, you know, he had nothing to do with the murders. So why, why are they trying to make the caretaker seem weird? Yeah. So, um, he plays the Charles Manson tape that she found in the house, and uh, he finds subliminal messages on it, where uh, he's saying how to scout her. Yeah. So Stephen instinctively knows. He's to, a tape expert. He's of a tape expert, apparently. Um, he instinctively knows to play it backwards to get a subliminal mess a subliminal message of the word how to scouter being said. Um, which I, first of all, I don't know why she took the tape to him anyway. It's just a no. it's just a tape. It's just a song. Yeah. What did she want from him to to find out about the tape? Mm-hmm. Um, but he does, and he plays it backwards, and it's. A subliminal, sublim, fuck, subliminal sake. message. Subliminal message, and like the Beatles song is yeah. "Hell to Skelter." Um, it's like a foretelling of a prophecy, and uh, use is used to spread satanic messages. And then Hillary Duff says, "Satanic," and then uh, we get he, a load of shit about the government. Yeah, well, he gives a big, long speech. Well, he gives two. The first one is explaining what a subliminal me- subliminal message yeah. is. 
um, like he's reading it from Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, that's fascinating. I'm, I'm sure she would have known what one was <laughs> before that point. Um, and then he explains it could be satanic messages. And then he starts talking about how the government are con- trying to control <laughs> everyone and how crazy the government are. So we're starting they were like, okay, if this was a normal horror film, this would be our main, yeah, you know, um, main suspect in, you know, these crimes. Actually, no crimes actually fucking happened yet. <laughs> so it was all a dream. Yeah. And, um, then, and then he gets a call from Charles Manson and uh, he asks to speak to Sharon. He puts Sharon on the phone and she's like, hello, what do you want from me? And then uh, he, she puts the phone down and she's like, he said we're all going to die. Did that really happen? No. That is so cheap. She said, it's that man, Charlie. He says we're all going to die. Like, I don't, I don't understand what this is. Is this, this part, is this her, you know, having a meltdown? Was there no one on the phone? Yeah, there was, because he spoke to but him first. Stephen spoke to him yeah. first. So I don't understand, and it doesn't really get explained because I don't. Yeah. It didn't happen in real life. No, that that call didn't happen in real life. If, if you yeah, know, if that happened in real life, then none of it would have happened because if she received a call from someone saying they're going to murder her, then she would have had police protection. Well, yeah, and we cut to night time. Yeah. And Sharon is... She's packing up her stuff. It was daytime before, so we don't understand... I don't understand... Yeah, it just skips to this. Just skips to to nighttime when she's packing her stuff. She hasn't contacted the police, even though someone's threatened her life. Mm -hmm. Um, She hasn't packed up before... Would you even pack up? You know, she must have quite a bit of money behind her. Yeah. You say to her friend, you know, can I come round? Yeah. That stuff. Somebody's just threatened our lives. So it makes no fucking sense. And while she's packing the things, we get a flashback to the actual Sharon Tate, which just makes us even worse. And they included real footage of her in this film. So she finds her wedding dress in the wardrobe, starts reminiscing with it and getting emotional. And then we get actual footage of Sharon and Roman on their wedding day. Um... (laughs) For some reason. For some reason. I, I think it's the same reason we got the, the footage from the, the beginning of the film. So, uh, yeah, so she gets a call from Roman Polanski. And uh, the fr- her friends are knocking on the door saying, come on, let us in, let us in. Making it look like they are literally in with what's going on. She gets a call from him. You can never hear what's on the other side of the phone calls. Um, and she starts running the bath. She's trying to have a secret conversation, saying that everyone's after her and everything. The bath is then full of blood. Um, but then we hear what's being said down the phone because it's Charles Manson saying how to scout her three times. Yeah. And then, uh, and then after this, she, um, she finds writing on the wall in blood. Well, she's, pretend- she's pretend, she starts running a bath, doesn't she? Yeah. And the bath starts running red. Yeah. And then she finds the hell to scout her on the wall and the bath water's completely red now. Yeah. It's like blood. And then she goes and finds Stephen, who's dead. He's had his throat slit. But then she wakes up because there's another premonition. There's another psychic vision from uh, psychic Sharon Tate. And she, when she wakes up, she holds her stomach. She's like, ah, baby. <laughs> so I know we had no idea you were pregnant. Thank you. Yeah, because... I thought she gave... She, I thought her water's broken in the scene. The way she was acting. Ah, ah, baby. <laughs> So in her dream, this is this is where it gets confused. At what point did she fall asleep? Yeah, did she, she was fall asleep fully awake after the threatening phone call from Charles. Apparently, Matthew. you would be led to believe. Well, Stephen said that she did. She didn't want to go back up, so she just fell asleep in there. Yes. So okay, what the fuck, Stephen been doing? Oh <laughs> yeah. With all this, <laughs> she has a in this dream. She finds Stephen dead in his car. Which is what really happened in in real life. That's where um, the Stephen character, uh, Stephen um, parent died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm confused. She still had a threatening phone call about her. 
So why did Stephen not do anything while she was asleep? No, exactly. Fucking idiot. So, um, yeah. They're in a really bizarre move. Um, Stephen goes out and gets in his car because she tells him to go and get help. And as he's about to drive out, the gate opens. The Manson family are there in their car. After she has just explained all of this, what's gone on to him. And these people turn up in this car. And one of the followers walk over to him. And uh, he winds his window down. Yeah. And he starts asking for help. After he's just been told someone is going there to kill her. Yeah. What kind of sense does that make? So this this is... Yeah, but if it happened in real life, that's fine. Because there was no phone call. No. No. He was seeing who was there. Exactly. Exactly. But in this film, that just makes him look like a dumbass. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to blur fiction with real life, then you've still got to keep it sane. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You can't... It's not just all one big fantasy. Well, Sharon gets in the car, and then we get a slow motion reverse... As uh, they try and attack the car, it reverses in slow motion, crashes the car, and then they run to the house. And then we um, are giving the Manson girls outside of the house, walking around in circles, and for some reason, they now have a thick Cockney accent. They're British. But they sound auto-tuned as well. And they're auto-tuned, and they're like, little pigs, little pigs, let us in. And they repeat it. About five times. Yeah. In this really thick British accent. Yeah. But they're American. But it, it's the whole of the thing as well. Yeah. It's like, little pigs, little pigs, let us in. Or we'll huff and we'll puff and we'll blow your house in. Yeah. And they say it very slowly, very cockney, auto-tuned. It doesn't sound like real people are there. And, yeah, they're just going around the outside of the house. Yeah. Um, they're all locking up the doors and everything. They forget to lock two windows. That leads to one jump scare. And it also leads to Jay, who disappeared for a large chunk of this film, uh, arriving. And uh, he leaves the window open behind him. And they all come in. And then we get the hole on the devil. And we have to do devil's business thing again. Well, he he just casually walked through the window. Yeah. Oh, what's wrong? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, shouldn't you have used the front door? If yeah. you didn't, you know? We're all tied up. Um, Abigail hasn't been caught yet. And, um... She's hiding in, in, like, near the ceiling. Yeah. They have, like, rafters. And there's, like, some sort of, um... Not like a... I, I want to say shelf, but obviously it's bigger than a shelf. I'm, I'm not sure why it's there or what no. it is. But she's she's hiding up near the ceiling somewhere. Watching it all unfold. Yeah, and then uh, they're about to kill Jay. But, you know, Sharon takes a hero. So she was like, take me, you piece of shit. Kill me. Just having Sharon take the film saying kill me is inappropriate in itself. Yeah. But with this awful line delivery as well. Sacrifice herself for a friend. Yeah. And then um, that guy, the devil guy, says to her, you know who I am? And she's like, you're the motherfucking devil. And stabs him. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, she had a knife on her. I don't remember her picking up a knife. No! Before that point. It's just there. They all have a fight and everything. They escape eventually. Um, yeah, so um, she stabs the guy. Um, and one of the girls, the Manson girls, gets her head knocked against the fireplace. Yeah. Isn't it? So she's knocked out. Conveniently, like, what's put a time in Hollywood. Yeah, um, so they're all at the trailer apart from Voitech. Yeah, and Wojtek's still in the house of one of the, the last Manson girl, and uh, he smashes her over the head of a toilet lid, and then he drowns her in a conveniently full bath. Yeah, because wasn't that bath a dream? Well, actually, this... It was a dream of blood. Yeah. She didn't even go back to the house. No. There's no reason to watch before. Yeah. So, yeah, the bath's full, and she gets drowned in it, and then uh, after this, we go back to the trailer... And the uh, the devil leader, uh, the devil follower guy, he's uh, he's stalking him. He's about to kill him. And Stephen, action hero Stephen, jumps out. And he's like, "Hey, asshole!" And he beats him with a shovel. And then Sharon Tate walks up to him with a gun. He's like, "Fuck you!" and shoots him. Yeah, in the face. Yeah, and then after this, everyone's walking home in slow motion, having a laugh about it all. Um, get some more shit about fate. Because you can't end the film without it. And then this is where it becomes a little divisive. Um, 
she goes to the front of the house and so all of the corpses are lied out in front of the house. Yeah, so she, she's sort of left her friends at the gate. They've gone, yeah. Yeah. And she's walked back to the house. The police are there, the tape's up, all that business. There are three bodies that we initially see. Yeah. And there are three bodies that we, we see um, in, like, photos and, like, shots yeah. from the film that I've seen. So we assume it's the three bodies of the Manson family mm-hmm. members. Yeah, and then what? Then we see that it's actually her friends. Yeah. It's actually them, and then there's one with a sheet of... They don't cover the other three. They don't cover the minor side characters, <laughs> but they cover this other one with a sheet. She pulls it off, and it's her. It's Sharon Tate. She's looking at her own dead She's body. She's looking at her... So, Sharon Tate, so this film ends... Uh, well, not completely ends, but at the end of this film, you have Sharon Tate leaning over her own dead body. Yeah. I interpreted this as she was seeing what would have happened um, if they hadn't saved the day. No. But no, that's no. with the news footage at the start, remembering that that happened, what this is actually... What, this is Chris's theory, and um, I think it's actually right now, is uh, the fact that they actually died and everything else was a dream from uh, dead Sharon Tate. Yes. So, what I think they've taken the quote at the beginning very literally. Yeah. So, them surviving that night was a dream. The bath, all of that business, was a dream within a dream. Yeah. Yeah. And what actually happened is that they were all killed, like like real yeah. life. Um, but then we see at the end of the film, her spirit walking off with all her of them. friends. Yeah, spirit. all walking off, having a laugh, smiling, and everything. So is is that a happy ending? I have no is idea. It, what are they trying? I was to... happy because it ended. I don't. I I just don't know what they were trying to do. Mm. So you had psychic Sharon Tate having very specific premonitions about her death. That's very, that's very clear. Yeah. So what I gathered is, and this is going to be very confusing, and I, I, I don't think anybody knows what the ending was meant to be. What we saw in her dream, yeah, her initial dream, that's very specific to the actual deaths, is what really happened. Yeah. Yeah. And then everything after that is a dream. And then you have dreams within a dream. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, I would actually suggest you watch this for yourself. Oh, I wouldn't. I... <laughs> Um, it's hard because we watch a lot of bad films that we like to laugh at. It's difficult to laugh at this film. I mean, you can laugh at the horrendous acting. Uh, Yeah, so at the acting and and everything. But there's also, you know, a very serious story that's been really mishandled. Mm -hmm. um, And that's not funny. I know. But I, I don't know, it's on Netflix... I'd say give it a go to try and make sense of it all. Um, if you're in any way interested in, the, you know, the true life murders, you know, um, a lot of people are interested in true crime, like myself, um, I would probably recommend reading Helter Skelter. Yeah. Because um, this is pure, pure um, bullshit revisionist fantasy. Yeah. It's difficult. It's, 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 yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was just horrendous. And I, I, I tried to think how bad his, uh, his other film's going to be. Uh, I don't really want to watch it to find out. Um, that's on Amazon Prime, oh, actually. Oh, God. So, yeah, that's The Haunting of Sharon Tate. Dog shit. And if you're listening on uh, iTunes, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, like, follow, and everything else. 
Uh, if you have seen this film, which I know a lot of you have, uh, a lot of you spoke out on Facebook yesterday saying how awful it is. Um, yeah, if if you have seen it and you've got a theory about the ending or anything like that, you know, let us know. And uh, we'll celebrate its trashiness together, I guess. So, uh, Facebook, Horacle Trash Over, and Instagram, Horacle Trash on Twitter. I'm Gaz905 on Instagram, Gaz Cruz 92 on Twitter, DeadEyeGaz92 on Letterboxd. I am Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd, Instagram, and Twitter. Do you know what we're doing next week? Oh, I don't, no. No. It'd be a nice surprise. Yeah. So we'll see you. <laughs> we'll see you soon. It'll be a surprise. <laughs> Maybe not so nice. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye.